Do your children or teens have the strange superpower of speeding through dozens more fantastical books than you could ever hope to read first? In this episode, based on workshops taught at homeschool conferences around the country, lorehaven.com publisher E. Stephen Burnett, co-author of The Pop Culture Parent, explores the biblical and practical reasons we actually need fantasy sci-fi and other stories that offer many idols and graces. This is Fantastical Truth, the podcast from lorehaven.com, where we explore fantastical stories for God's glory. I'm Zachary Russell, and I've lost track of how many books my kids have read this year. This is episode 111, Why Do Your Kids Need Fantastical Stories for God's Glory? Stephen is out of the studio this week, which I'll explain a little bit more in a second. And because it's better to not podcast alone, and since We are talking about parenting and especially homeschool children. It only made sense for me to sneak a very special person into the podcast studio today. You've heard her name mentioned on many of our episodes. She's a graduate of Colorado State University with a cum laude in mechanical engineering. She's worked in campus ministry for over 20 years, including three years as a missionary in Japan. She's been married to a really lucky guy for 16 years now. Is the mother of four children, ages from 5 to 15. She's homeschooled all four of these kids for different periods of time, and she teaches and disciples all of our children in various ways. Yes, please welcome my beautiful wife, Naomi Russell. <laughs> well, thank you for that wonderful intro. I appreciate it. So, truth be told, I have wanted to be on this podcast for quite a while, but um, my favorite books to read are actually biographies and historical fiction. So yes, Zach has married his opposite, but I am really excited to be here today because I am a huge fan of the podcast because I'm a huge fan of Zach and I love to listen to him talk about things that are important to him. Yes, I have been trying to sneak you in uh, for quite some time as well, but you know, Stephen is always there just uh blocking the entrance or whatever for, <laughs> for you. But um, this is going to be great. Naomi and I have uh, four children, three girls and a boy. They are all avid readers. They have been pretty much their whole entire lives. Our 12-year-old especially loves to read and reread and reread the same book over and over and over again. Um, but even lately, our seven-year-old uh, daughter has been trying to find creative ways to read. So lately, she's been keeping herself awake at yes. night. And then, you know, minutes later coming in there and saying, oh, I can't fall asleep. Can I read a little bit? You know, yes. my, my brother fell asleep, so I, I can turn on my flashlight and read now, right? So, uh, but, you know, we complain about this, we laugh about it, but we're both, uh, we're both very proud of them for being readers. Um, and as you probably heard me share before, our, our 12-year-old has gone to class and people talk about their favorite YouTube stars and she wants to talk about her favorite books. And so... Uh, we Naomi has very much been a part of instilling reading in them. Um, I talk about books. Naomi actually reads a lot of books out loud to them. So that's always been fun for me to watch. Yes. And I taught all four of them to read. Let's not forget that. <laughs> that's probably the most important part. <laughs> yes. Which was really fun. So as parents, Naomi and I talk to our kids about everything, not, not just uh, what we've, you know, homeschooled them, but at all kinds of entertainment, media, stories, everything they're hearing from their friends, uh, but, but because we know that stories impart worldviews and they impart teachings. And sometimes, you know, we're, we're not so comfortable with the lessons and 
You know, I think a lot of parents may not always be comfortable with fantasy stories. Uh, and Stephen's going to talk a minute about dangerous fantasies, you know, stories that are intentionally anti-Christian written by people who are after your children. Um, and a couple of times Naomi and I have stopped watching or even reading some stories, uh, either ones that we were reading on our own or enjoying on our own or that our kids were getting into and we had to have them stop. And so this is also why we've gotten into Christian fiction. But uh, Naomi, what do you want to say about all that? Yeah, well, I feel like because we did have, especially with our older girls now that they are teens and almost teens, we laid a really great foundation in the homeschool years of trust and communication. And so now if they hear something at school or something from one of their friends, they come home and they talk to us about it. So with the stuff they're reading, with the stuff they're hearing, we're having ongoing conversations. And that's a really important thing as a parent to be able to have those, but to have our kids volunteer questionable content so that we can train them in how to discern it. I feel like that's something that's really important and really key in our parenting. Well, Stephen has a lot more to say about reading and sharing stories with your children for God's glory. We're going to hear his talk from the Teach Them Diligently conference. Uh, like I said, he's out of the studio because he was recently at that conference in Tennessee, and he joined the Realm Makers bookstore. Uh, Realm Makers started out as a writer's conference, and Naomi is going to tell us more about Realm Makers because they are our first sponsor. Are you excited to take the next step in your speculative fiction journey? No, not an actual trip to space, time travel, or forging your own sword. Joining us for Realm Makers 2022. This year's annual Writers' Conference will again offer the event in person in Atlantic City and live online. So even if you're not ready to travel in July, you can still see the teaching in real time. Every class will be live streamed for our virtual attendees. Whether attending in Atlantic City or online, all attendees will have the chance to connect on the Realm Sphere in a dedicated conference space in our online community. Realm Makers 2022 is an amazing value because this year every attendee gets access to replays of every class available through the Realm Sphere. No matter how you attend, if you have a manuscript you want to pitch to our participating agents and editors, you will be able to do so. Learn more in our show notes for episode 111 and see our page at lorehaven.com backslash podcast sponsors. Well, now let's move on to Stephen's talk from Teach Them Diligently about why your children need fantastical stories. And I'd like to say I am more of a math, science, apologetics, give me the facts of what really happened type of girl. So I was definitely intrigued by the title of Stephen's talk, Why Do Your Kids Need Fantastical Stories for God's Glory? And I was eager to hear what he had to say. So my attitude was, okay, go ahead, Stephen, convince me. Welcome to Teach Them Diligently. I just got here too. I'm uh, Stephen Burnett. Really appreciate y'all coming. As I was uh, mentioning to him uh, earlier, I actually redid some of my presentation simply because a top tier corporate purveyor of fantasy has been in the news this past week. Uh, not just because a lot of parents were, I think justifiably concerned with the new Disney Pixar movie, Turning Red, but then also some audio leaked from Disney creators and it got out to some conservative and parents rights activists on social media. 
where they're talking about the various messages and fantasies that they're hoping to put into their upcoming movies, some of which I really don't want to mention because it's a homeschool conference and there's kids in the room, so feel free to look that up on your own. But as I was mentioning earlier, uh, this is something that we're going to go over as we are exploring the theme, why do your kids, in my view, need fantastical stories? Very important qualifier, though, for God's glory. That's how I'm looking at fantasy today. And I'll define what I mean by fantasy in just a moment. First, I'm going to start with a quote, which I heard alluded to uh, just this past week. The quote goes something like this. There are those that look at things the way they are and ask why. I dream of things that never were and ask why not. The question I'm going to leave lingering for a moment is who said this? And then we're going to apply biblical worldview to this quote. Another one, another phrase to keep in mind, which I heard recently, is the phrase, dreamers of all ages. Dreamers of all ages. It's apparently a brand new quote. We're going to identify who said that to in just a moment. First, just an intro to myself, not famous or anything, but I do have a non-fantastical story. Uh, I'm the co-author of a book called The Pop Culture Parent with my friends uh, Ted Turneau, who does worldview studies in the Czech Republic and Dr. Jaron Moore, who's a Southern Baptist pastor and father of six, I think. I forget how many kids he has, but I think they're still working on those. Uh, we made this book because we're interested in the broader questions of popular culture and how Christians can engage with that for the glory of God and the good of our families. That's my other presentation. So this here is actually kind of the sequel, hopefully better than the original. Uh, I published lorehaven.com, which explores Christian-made fantastical stories for God's glory. We have articles, podcasts, reviews, all kinds of stuff. And as of this evening, we'll have a big old booth down there in the back of the room uh, with some guest authors of Christian-made fantasy. So feel free to stop by if you want to see our stuff and the book. Uh, most importantly, perhaps, I'm the oldest of six children myself. I was homeschooled for life. The first time I went to a public school-ish classroom was community college in 2001. And then a month later, it was September 11th. So that makes me kind of old. Judge for yourself whether that makes me a successful homeschool graduate. Uh, hopefully that comes across, at least in how I'm trying to approach these questions. Uh, I grew up loving fantastical stories, uh, mostly from Christian writers. Uh, the first series that I enjoyed was actually put out by um, Christian TV network. It was called Superbook. It was an anime. It was a Christian, what, you remember Super? Okay. <laughs> Okay, now, there was a new one that they made not too long ago. Um, I think it was some of the same executives anyway, but there's like a computer animated version that came out. This one was older. This was back in the 80s. It's older than I am. Uh, and it introduced me to this idea, you know, right or wrong, because obviously as a work of popular culture, it had some issues. This series introduced me to the idea that you can do time travel stories and fictional characters and a robot and the Bible and hopefully the person watching can kind of sort the fiction from the nonfiction, because obviously the biblical narrative is nonfiction. It's where we get our gospel, it's where we get Christian reality, and the fiction is the robots and the kids traveling back in time. I also loved uh, Adventures in Odyssey, which I've just rediscovered because uh, they have a streaming app and I've uh, been enjoying uh, kind of rediscovering uh, that childhood enjoyment, which is really great for grown-ups, by the way. I also enjoyed Disney movies, obviously the Chronicles of Narnia. I didn't get into Lord of the Rings until I was in college. I like other stories, whether they're made by Christians or non-Christians, but mostly what I enjoy are the stories that are fantasy, science fiction, and beyond. 
Like most folks, I think, would have at least pictures in their minds of what I mean when I say that. Uh, fantasy, traditional, dragons, sword fights, uh, sometimes magic, things like that that can get kind of controversial. Science fiction can do a lot of that stuff, but also adds spaceships and future technologies, things like that. These images help me define what I mean by fantastical stories. Anything that is uh, got fantasy in it or sci-fi or some kind of supernatural element. Uh, I also grew up really enjoying uh, Frank Peretti's novels and uh, actually got to meet him last year at a conference. So, uh, really great guy, uh, very, very solid, and yet keeps his own fiction in perspective, I think, which is, uh, which is great to see. Point being, I grew up seeing how God used the gift, his gift, of fantastical imagination in my life to draw me to his gospel. Truth comes first, but there's sort of a, a backup that he used the gifts that humans put together to come up with stories of good and evil, righteousness versus unrighteousness, light versus darkness. He used those in my life to bring me to his truth. He used the fiction to bring me to his truth. So now I'm trying to figure that out. Just within the past few years at Lorehaven and with the book, I'm trying to understand how this happens. Not that I can unlock a formula. I don't present formulas. Those don't work. Uh, the only thing in which we can hope is Christ and the gospel. But I do want to understand, okay, how did this happen when there's so many people deconstructing or doubting Christianity uh, or kind of separating God's gift of imagination from the giver himself, Lord Jesus Christ? I want to know, how does that happen? How do we understand why God has given us the gift of imagination and how can we use that gift to glorify him? So I addressed that this morning. I've already hinted at it a little bit, uh, but our world is full of dangerous fantasy. Our world is full of dangerous fantasy. We were talking a moment ago about some examples. Does anyone, anybody want to risk calling out like just some dangerous fantasy that you've seen within the past few weeks or something you've had your eye on as a parent? Because I can think of a big example. Uh, remember that quote. Uh, there are those that look at things the way they are and ask why. I dream of things that never were and ask why not. When I heard that, at first it sounded kind of nice. It almost sounded like something C.S. Lewis would say or J.R.R. Tolkien would say. Did a little research, turned out that apparently the bros Kennedy had used that quote or a version of it. It's actually fictional dialogue for the devil from the playwright George Bernard Shaw. There are those that, think, that look at things the way they are and ask why. I dream of things that never were and ask why not. The other phrase that I mentioned earlier, dreamers of all ages, apparently, and I want to be careful here, but apparently that is the phrase that the Disney theme parks are going to use now instead of saying ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Because ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls respects God's created order too much. And there's activists in there and they're trying to throw all that out and go for dreamers of all ages. Well, one could dispute that in another presentation. I think my main point with that is just a reminder that this is a dangerous topic. Any gift of God that humans corrupt for their own sinful ends becomes dangerous. And I think it's important to understand the reason why God has given the gift before we decide, hey, God gave us a gift, fantastical stories, imagination, let's go nuts with it. We can't go nuts with it. It requires discernment, it requires practicing and applying the Christian worldview and being aware that the world, our flesh, and even the devil will abuse God's gift of fantastical imagination. They love, they love corrupting the gifts that God has given us and using that to worship not the creator, but images. As Romans 1 says, images made to resemble God's creations. We turn in on ourselves, we make our own idols apart from Jesus, 
And that's even a temptation after Christ has drawn us into his kingdom. I apply that to every gift that God has given, but of course we're focusing on fantastical stories, fantasy, Star Wars, anime, or my favorite, Christian-made fantasy. Not just Lewis and Tolkien, but some of the newer stuff I can tell you about. But I want to ask the question, why do Christian families, homeschool families, you've got kids, you've got limited time, why do you need fantastical stories? I do tend to use that word, just like I think we need books, we need learning, we need literature, math, and science, and history, and I think we need fantastical stories too. Why? Because our Lord Jesus is greater than all of these gifts, and he invented this gift of fantastical imagination. And even if we were not specifically aware that God has given us this gift of imagination, the world is using it against Christians. They are. Satan, I believe, wants to abuse this gift of imagination by pretending that the things we imagine are the same thing as reality. You see people on social media and even in public schools uh, who get their fantasies in their heads about themselves and their identities confused with reality. And then they want to teach children. And if I wasn't already a huge supporter of homeschooling before, I would be now, as many, many more people are becoming, because they're realizing, you know, there's risks in homeschooling. It's a lot of work, but I think I can do better teaching my kids at home and maybe help, rightfully, protect my kids from some false ideas that they're not ready to engage. Satan wants to pretend that our imaginations can become real, which is like false creation, like imitating God, who is the only one who can make something out of nothing. And I think the devil wants to have us ask, why not? Why not? Why not eat the forbidden fruit? Why not disobey God? Did God really say, why not? I think scripture encourages us to ask, why? Why? As a motive, uh, motivated from faith, that's a freedom that God gives us, and we see that exhibited by the heroes of the Bible all throughout, and even in the Psalms. It's okay to ask God why, especially if you're begging, if you're like a little child wanting to rely on him. It's okay to ask why. I think even at the imaginative level, it'd be okay to ask why. But why not, in the uh, words of Shaw's fictitious devil, presupposes a raised fist. Maybe you've seen your kid do that sometimes, asking why not uh, it's okay, though, to ask why. And so that's why I ask why we need fantastical stories. Let's frame that question by scripture, because I think there's some lesser reasons that I've heard even well-meaning Christians answer that question. I ask an older question than that, a, a theological question. It's from the Westminster Shorter Confession, Catechism. Excuse me. What is the chief end of man? The Catechism asks. And the Catechism answers, man's chief end, man's any highest purpose by any person whom God has made, ought to be and is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I think this question and that answer is the most important thing to get right before we ask about any gifts that God has given us, whether it's our families, whether it's education, learning, books, creativity, or fantastical stories. Without understanding this chief end, we may drift into lesser reasons for enjoying fantastical stories. Not incorrect reasons, but lesser reasons, which I have heard and which I've used, but I always want to put them in that perspective. For example, I've heard some people who defend fantasy, imagination, and such like. They say, well, fantasy is in the Bible. You can go to the Bible and find some 
fictional narratives among the nonfiction gospel that our Lord has revealed to us. One of my favorites is in the book of Judges, where one of the judges is talking about a group of talking trees. If you're familiar with your Tolkien, they're describing basically an entmoot. One day all the trees got together and they decided to do this and such, and it's a great little fairy tale in the Bible. It's definitely simple, definitely meant to illustrate a particular point in the narrative, but it's in there. Uh, you could argue there's some fantastical elements in Jesus' parables. Uh, my favorite is where there's a, a, a hint of supernatural realism, where the man tells uh, his servants to throw the man out into the outer darkness. Like suddenly there's this modern story by first century standards, and then suddenly, boom, outer darkness. Where did that come from? Uh, that's kind of weird, but in a good way and a very scary way, in the way that Jesus told it. Uh, those are in the Bible, but I don't think it's enough to say, well, it's in the Bible, so therefore we can do it. God may have a divine prerogative to write those things or have Jesus tell those parables, and maybe we don't. I think it's also a partial answer to say, well, we need fantastical stories because it helps people. Uh, some Christian writers, uh, intelligent sorts who defend fantasy, uh, will say, well, you get to connect with your neighbors if you like fantasy, because your neighbor likes Star Wars, you get to, you get to talk with Star Wars about it. And then maybe if they think Star Wars is cool, then they'll also see that Jesus is cool. I'm sympathetic to that, but again, I think it's a lesser reason. I think it's possible to make getting along with the neighbors more important than obeying God, than becoming like Jesus, than worshiping him forever and being happy in him forever, like our chief end is. I think it's also not enough, it's a lesser reason to say that we need fantastical stories because of their literary merit I like literary merit, but I want to then trace that back to oh, who gives the literary merit? What makes that a good thing? Why does literature have merit? Uh, that actually is sometimes the view that you get from C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. Huge fan, wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them, but there's more to these stories, fantasy stories, than literary merit. I don't want to approach this from human reasoning. Well, humans like important literature, and so that makes it good and somehow Christian. Uh, I think we ought to instead explore from Scripture why we need fantastical stories and God's gift of imagination. Uh, a few quick concessions before we do that. Uh, as I kind of mentioned, um, I'm not going to just rely on quotes from Lewis and Tolkien. Uh, some of my heroes uh, will rely on those quotes and like, there you go, case made, fantasy stories, go get them. Um, I could put in plenty of those quotes, but part of me wants to do something new, and part of me also wants to go to scripture before we go to Lewis and Tolkien. They were not perfect. They had some weird beliefs, <laughs> even though I really, really appreciate how God used their fantastical imagination. I've also mentioned that we're not going through general popular culture discernment questions in this workshop. Uh, that's the first presentation I do elsewhere. Uh, this one actually is the sequel, but I felt it was important to skip straight to here. If you want to talk with me about that presentation, uh, you can uh, see me after the workshop. Also, I did mention earlier that a big issue with fantasy is magic and supernatural activity. I'm very interested in that, but I unfortunately have to just kind of skip over it, even though it is an important issue of discernment for Christian parents. Uh, we actually have a podcast and articles and stuff at Lorehaven where we go over those questions, hopefully in depth, uh, dealing with why the Bible warns God's people, and it's a serious warning uh, against getting to real-life occult practices based on idolatry rather than worship of Jesus. Uh, our highest human purpose, this is another concession, uh, is not the three E's, I call them. Uh, our purpose in enjoying stories is not evangelism, or entertainment, 
or even moral edification. Those are gifts of God, I think good things that stories can help us do. But again, I go back to that goal of enjoying God, of worshiping God as our first priority, as God's creatures made to do this to him, worship him for eternity. Uh, second things go second, first things go first. So before we talk about entertainment, or even your kids may learn the gospel from that cartoon, uh, or moral edification, talk about worshiping God. It's about the person before it's about the principles. Uh, elsewhere, I've defended that statement biblically. I hope I'm not going too fast, but I think I can show that from, from Scripture. Uh, secondly, I've already mentioned that we're, and I'm talking about all kinds of fantasy stories, but with attention to ones by Christians, because I, I have a soft spot for great stories made by our spiritual family members, even as I also like you know, Marvel and DC and Star Wars and the secular-made stuff. There's risks in there, and there's risks in the Christian-made stuff too, but when it's made by a spiritual family member, you at least know that in theory, here's a person who's on your side. We worship the same Savior. We're making these stories for his glory. All right, let me grab a quick drink here. Uh, hey, you know what? I'm actually clipping along pretty quickly. Anybody have any questions before we continue? Yes? Is there a cheap end in, in enjoying stories that's not evangelism, entertainment, or spiritual edification? Yes. So what is our cheap end in enjoying stories? To enjoy God forever, to glorify God. Um, I think that stories are not just about evangelism, Although they can be, you know, I mean, obviously God discipled me, I think, by the, the Holy Spirit, by means of these stories to disciple me. But so that's not spiritual edification? I think it is. I think, I mean, it may have been too clever to use the word edification. The definition I was thinking there was learning a moral virtue. Like, for example, um, a story where the moral of the story is don't copy your fellow student's homework. Um, I think that's a great uh, benefit of stories to illustrate moral behavior. It's just not the main one, I think, uh, that it's more about, as I said, the person uh, than the principle about worshiping Jesus Christ, who, of course, changes his people from the inside. Um, that's, that's what I meant by that. Hopefully that helps. As for understanding the reasons why we need fantastical stories, I mean, imagine y'all here, assuming maybe the question that I'm asking there, that the answer is, yes, we do need them. The only answer is why, the only thing to left to explore is why. I've got three ways I explore this topic. And the first one is fantastical stories help train us to imagine God's truth. And I'll put these all up in the slide in due course. Second is fantastical stories help us love Jesus and his heroism. The third one is fantasy helps train us for our world mission. So first God, again, going vertical, going straight up rather than looking out at the world. Next Christ, which is our salvation. So creator, savior, and then we look at the world that we're called to engage for Christ's glory. Point to number one, fantastical stories help train us to imagine God's truth. Again, I gotta start, gotta start with God the creator and the reason why he made us. And our God is absolutely fantastical. He breaks every man-made category. He stays limited to his own categories. He defines love, he defines wrath, he defines grace. He's the definition of all of those good things, and anything that is not him is evil, is darkness. In him there is no darkness at all. Scripture has to use 
true but fantastical language to describe God. He's appearing on Mount Sinai. There's lightning and thunder. We don't have enough visual effects in movies, especially as Christians, to even begin to capture just the sights that we would have seen if we had been among the Israelites during the Exodus in the miracles. Uh, one of my favorite movies is Prince of Egypt, which probably, because it's animated, gets the closest to showing the majesty of God working his wonders and overwhelming Pharaoh with his power and bringing his people through the Red Sea to deliverance. Almost gets there, but not quite, because it's God. He is so beyond all of that in his wonder. And scripture is fantastical in genre, starting from Genesis 1.1. That's why I think a lot of people have trouble going through Genesis 1 through 11 because it's just so fantastical. And maybe we have, as Treebeard said of the wizard Saruman, minds of metal and wheels. We can't see it because we're so mechanically minded and stuck in the real world that we think there must be some naturalistic explanation for how God created the world rather than you know, in six days. Christians have different views on that. I won't get into that, but it does help me honor, I think, uh, the original meaning of Genesis better just by being open to the fact that God is fantastical. If we're being biblical, we don't think about God with just our normal imaginations. We have to think about him as scripture defines him, which is amazing, infinite, worker of wonders, supernatural, we need supernatural nonfiction based on scripture to help us imagine this. And I think secondarily, we need fantastical stories just to train our hearts and our minds to accept the idea that what is fantasy may actually be real, again, according to the gospel, according to scripture. This kind of training is discipleship, and that's essential for Christians. I mentioned earlier that I don't think that the prime uh, reason for stories ought to be just evangelism, but I think stories ought to help disciple us. Evangelism assumes, okay, there's a non-Christian who needs to get saved, and a story will help us do that. But what about after we get saved? I think we still need stories for this kind of discipleship. And biblical discipleship starts with knowing God, with understanding him for how he has revealed himself. That's a need, not an optional want. We must not only believe that God exists and has these attributes, but we need to know him personally. And stories help to shortcut, I think, that mental block that we have as grown-ups, but even as kids, and they cut straight to the heart. That's what makes them dangerous, by the way, because they can often skip past our rational thought and go straight for the heart. But the advantage there is that a good relationship would also go straight for the heart, as well as the head. Stories hit both the head and the heart. As I mentioned earlier, other religions and the secular world have trouble imagining the God of Scripture. They're constantly <coughs> parsing him out, separating him. I want only a God of love. I want only a God of wrath to smite my enemies, of course. I'm good. We keep trying to divide him up because our imaginations are not big enough to include everything that Scripture has revealed about him. And I think stories can help us at least stretch our minds and our hearts around to understand him. As Christians, we're constantly thinking about not just God in person, but God's virtues in fantastical ways. God is a trinity. He is three persons, one God. What in the world does that mean? Will we ever figure that out? Well, until we do, which I don't think we ever will, maybe we can stretch our minds a little bit just to accept things that we cannot understand. Fantastical training helps us do that. God is love, but he is also wrath, and he will punish his enemies forever. How can a loving God do that? 
maybe we don't fully understand that, especially when we're in the, in the midst of suffering, but good stories can help us understand that, at least help us work through those feelings. And of course, the idea that God is truth, God will punish evil, but he also shows grace to even the worst of sinners. How can we understand that? God has revealed that in scripture, and yet I've found, at least in the experience of myself and others, that sometimes it helps to get a story, optimally a Christian-made story, that'll help stretch our imaginations to accept these hard truths. We must imagine not only God, but his narrative, his rescue narrative, that God being perfect and loving and just stooped to earth as Christ, the person of Christ, which we'll get to in a moment, to work out his fantastic gospel redemption plan. That's the original, the truest, the best fantastical story, is that Christ the hero came to earth, not only to save his friends, but to save his enemies by slaying the dragon of sin, who then kills him by striking his heel, and then Christ rises from death, raises himself. He now reigns today, and he's coming back, by the way, to make the new heavens and new earth, the ultimate expression of God's wonders and the fantastical reality for which he's made us. That's why so many stories, whether Christian made or not, are constantly stealing from the Bible. I say stealing, it's good, it's a tribute most of the time, uh, where you've got like every single superhero, it seems, Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, Wolverine, I think all of them except that creepy one we don't talk about. They've always gone through some kind of death and rebirth story, probably multiple times in the comics and at least three to five times on screen. Why? Because that story resonates with us. And yet we can be distracted by, oh, Superman died and came back to life. You know, it's one of my favorite stories. But the reason why we like to see Superman do that is because Jesus did it first and Jesus is not going to die again the next time they reboot the comics timeline. Jesus is living forever and ever. He's the ultimate fantastical hero. Other stories that Christians enjoy, and that other people enjoy, are set in the contemporary world, or maybe it's a historical romance, or a mystery, or some other kind of genre that's more likely to be found on a Christian bookstore shelf. But every single one of those stories is still set in the real world, and the real world is where Christ is the hero who slew the dragon of sin, ultimately every story is fantastical one way or another. Fantasy, I think we could say, is the genre over all the genres because the real world is fantastical and all these other stories are set in the real world. Second, we've already talked about Jesus and his heroism a little bit. Most of the superhero stories and the other fantasy stories and even Aslan from the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, they'll exaggerate human characteristics, whether it's a hero character uh, or a villain character. People are complicated. The stories are designed, even the most complicated ones, are designed to <laughs> simplify the heroes, simplify the characters so we can understand them. But those traits in the heroes remind us of Jesus, the ultimate man, the ultimate God, the God-man, that other weird fantastical truth in the Bible that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Do we have trouble understanding that sometimes? Do our kids have trouble understanding that sometimes? Well, then you might go to, oh, here's the Lewis reference. I knew it'd get in here somewhere. <laughs> we might go to the Chronicles of Narnia and point to Aslan, C.S. Lewis's classic lion character who is meant to be a supposal of Jesus. 
kind of an allegory, but kind of also just asking, what if Jesus appeared in another magical land as a lion who was not tame, but is good, who is beautiful and perfect, and not the main character, by the way, and yet every single story in the Chronicles of Narnia is about him. Aslan is our archetypical. He kind of represents Jesus. So you might understand Jesus a little better by understanding the fantastical story that features Aslan. Lewis had a lot of gifts, and I think capturing that version of Jesus Christ as a lion, obviously inspired by the Lion of Judah imagery from the Bible, can help you appreciate Jesus and his heroism better. But every good hero, whether it's made up by a non-Christian, like Superman, or made up by a Christian, like Aslan, reminds us of Jesus. That's the important thing. It's got to go back to the source. Lewis himself described truth as like a shaft of light coming through the crack in a tool shed. If you're in the tool shed, lost in the dark, and you're looking at the speck of light, all you will see are the dust floating around in this gleam of light. Lewis compared it to getting alongside the gleam of light and looking through so that you see the greater reality outside. The light, the beam of light from the sunlight outside is like the story. If you get in the middle of it and you use it to look alongside the light, and then you glimpse the greater reality outside. That involves one thing I haven't specifically talked about, the idea of being humble when we enjoy a story like this. My wife keeps up with fan fiction on the internet, which is a dangerous thing to do. So she keeps up <laughs> with it for me. And one thing that she's aware of is when people write fan fiction based on their favorite stories, they'll try to write a version of that themselves. Some people will do what is called a self-insert. They'll take themselves and put themselves in the story and make the story all about them. So the handsome heroes instead saving them, or they get to be the hero that saves everybody. I see a lot of people, I think by accident, doing that. Uh, even uh, even well-meaning Christians who are trying to figure out what to do with the church in the 21st century, they'll do a self-insert. This story is about me and my experience. But I think that the Christian who seeks to honor Jesus Christ ought not approach a story that way. The story is not about us, whether we're talking about the true story of the gospel or the fictional story. Sometimes it helps just to lose ourselves, and if it's a good story, that's the important qualifier, the important thing is to go along for the ride if we are mature readers. If we feel comfortable in this area, there's questions of discernment. Obviously, small children can't do this. But you know how it is when you come to a story like a little child. If it's a good story, or even if you're a grown-up, you get lost in it. You might forget where you are. Uh, if it's a movie and they've got all the lights turned out and it's just you and the screen in a room, uh, that happens. But even if it's just you with a book, if it's a really good book, you could be in a crowded airport or a homeschool conference. I've seen kids at previous homeschool conferences, they get a hold of these books uh, and they're going around like this. And they're just completely, completely engrossed. Like that can obviously bring some risks, like if you trip over something on the ground. <laughs> But it's also good that you lose yourself in the story. It can be good. It's a good way to practice humility. It's a good way to understand that you're following in some way the hero of the story. And this, I think, can help train us in that gift of childlike faith that we need to practice as God's sons and daughters, regardless of our ages.
good readers don't project themselves atop the characters until they've learned from the characters in a good story, until they have discerned the story, seen how the hero is in some way reflecting Jesus, then maybe we can start to ask, okay, what about me? Where, where's my place in the story? To imitate Jesus and to practice his discipleship, that's another reason why we need fantastical stories. Uh, that's based, I think, on Scripture's truth. You read the Bible, and you're supposed to get lost in it. You're not supposed to come to the Bible saying, what, uh, how am I in this story? How am I the star of the show? No, Christ is the hero of the gospel. Christ is the one who saves us. We're in the story. First is the bad guys, and then is the good guys, but only following after our hero, Jesus Christ. Good versus evil tales like that help us to understand gospel themes, help us to see the good and evil in our world. Uh, the more I see some of this news about um, school teachers and politicians uh, who seem to understand the story, the real world story, as themselves as the hero and everyone else as the villain, and they make themselves the star of the show rather than understanding the gift of imagination in their place to be humble, to live in God's story, to believe in Jesus as their hero. Finally, number three, before we get to uh, some more questions here, got about 12 minutes left. This is the one, it's kind of funny. Uh, when I read articles about, hey, why Christians need imagination, why we need fantasy, why we need popular culture, usually they start here. Well, we need it to evangelize the neighbors. We need it to save the lost. Well, I'm a homeschool veteran, and I remember even back in the 80s, I guess my parents were second generation homeschoolers. And I remember even back when I was a little kid hearing that line, why would you pull your kids out of public schools? It's a mission field. I go, that child is seven. They're not a trained missionary. You know, the public school may not be evil, awful, terrible, but it's uh, not the child's job to be the missionary. You need training to be a missionary. You need to understand the types of people and ideas and temptations you're going to run into. And I think fantasy, along with good stuff like worldview studies, apologetics, uh, and training at home, most importantly in the gospel, that stuff is what we need to train children, to train children in the gospel. First off, to worship God, their chief end. Second, to follow after Jesus, their hero, who saves us from sin. And thirdly, then, to go on mission in the world. And fantasy helps us understand the types of ideas, the types of nonsense, and the types of good stuff that we're going to see in the world. Fantasy helps us to understand what's going on in the real world, if for no other reason than the real world is so interested in fantasy, but also because God has left traces of his image, however broken, in people, even if they don't know him, even if they don't believe in him, by reading their stories, we've got their playbook. We know what it is they're into. If you watch a Disney movie with discernment, you maybe see through some of the messages that are in there that are good, but also some of the believe in yourself and everything will turn right. You know, you just need a little magic. Dreamers of all ages, you know. That stuff is mixed in. The idolatry is mixed in with the common grace that is in the story. That's those reflections of truth and beauty that are scattered around God's world but a discerning person needs to find them rather than just assuming they're there. We could refer to the Lewis and Tolkien quotes here about how fantasy helped us see the real world. Like That gets a little esoteric. I like those, but that's why I didn't drop them here in case you're wondering where they are. 
I think that unfortunately, especially among some of those smarter, well-meaning Christians, if you pull out some of those quotes by themselves, it almost treats that uh, attitude of wonder or that attitude of we must engage with the world uh, as its own end, as if that's our highest purpose as Christians is just to get people saved. That is such a high purpose. I don't want to dismiss that, but I do see people skipping to that part and then they're using anything to justify that including accepting worldly ideas or compromising with ideas that are not of God, untruths, ugly, ugly ideas, because anything's worth it if you get someone saved, right? I don't believe that. I think that we first obey God and worship God, and then only then do we go out and understand the world and try to evangelize people, including our pagan neighbors. That is an important goal. It just, it, it is a second priority for Christians. Our first priority is becoming like Jesus. That all said, our God has sent us into the real world on gospel mission for our hero. Uh, the point of, I think, homeschooling, the point of joining a local church, the point of getting together at events like this is to train for that purpose, especially our younger members. It requires careful discernment to know when to start specific ways of training. Uh, we're still in training ourselves. That's why we need the local church. That's why we need events like Teach Them Diligently. It's right there in the title. I love the title teach them diligently and what we're teaching them is training for this mission to worship god and also to follow jesus and then also to go out and share jesus with the world his calling is not just for us to be creative to sit around and come up with fantastical stories the point is to make disciples and that's one of my favorite favorite reasons to defend fantastical stories is because those are so helpful they are practical tools not just shiny baubles that help us to make disciples. Christ is aiming to resurrect us. And in the future, I think we're still going to have stories like this. Maybe, just maybe. But if they're not going to be in the future, new heavens and new earth, then I don't see why we need them now. But they're certainly very helpful now to understand that future that we have as resurrected saints reigning forever with Christ in a world where we will get to make amazing things to glorify Jesus, where we won't have to evangelize anymore, but it will be a wonderful, wonderful world. That's something we have to look forward to. And frankly, it is something that helped me this time last year when my dad died of a brain tumor. I have these stories in the back of my head, and man, that was so hard. Uh, the stories point to Christ. The music that I know, uh, we were talking earlier about Andrew Peterson. Uh, several of his songs about Christ's resurrection uh, and the wonder of the afterworld that we have to look forward to. Like, that's art. That's a fantastical story set to music. And that really helps. Not because it's a distraction from gospel truth, but because it points me back to gospel truth. That's the beautiful part. We're drawn to a close here. The beautiful part of these stories helps us see the amazing wonders that God has put in our world and our mission to save people. To, well, to be instruments that Jesus uses to save people. Uh, we don't skip to the fun parts where we just enjoy stories. There's corruption out there. There are evil ideas. There are people who, this is not very cool to say, I'm not a very cool Christian, to say that yes, there are people out there, there are enemies who are after your children. I, I think I've at least in the past that kind of rolled my eyes and went, oh, there's the cultural alarmist Christians again, like they're not after your children. Yes, they are after your children. Now, you don't shoot them because after your children, you may need to love your enemies, but also protect 
protect your family from these ideas, train to engage these ideas when you're ready, and also work to heal from the trauma of living in a groaning world. Groaning is one of my favorite words from Romans 8, where God is describing this planet under the curse of sin. It says it groans, just as we groan inside to be set free from the bondage of corruption. Stories help train us to empathize with people who are suffering, empathize with ourselves when we're groaning. Helps us not skip to the end, the happy part that I mentioned earlier, but also there can be sad stories, tragic stories, even noble dark stories that help us to work through those emotions. I think that's one reason why God put at the heart of the Old Testament, he gave us the Psalms. If you read the Psalms, some of them are weird. The psalmists are being really brutally honest about what they'd like God to do there to their enemies. They seem to doubt God one moment, and then they're lifting God's name to the skies the next moment. It's an emotional roller coaster going through the Psalms. There's some darkness in there. I, I wouldn't have small kids read the Psalms or some of the other wisdom literature. It takes some discernment to get through that stuff. I think that fantastical stories also help us work through some of those emotions. I can read the story after I've gotten through the other stuff I mentioned, and then and only then imagine myself in the story. What would I do? How would I deal with this suffering? If I'm Frodo entrusted with the one ring, would I fail at the end or would I be the better hero? Like, no, probably not. I'd probably fail just like Frodo. General fiction helps with these, like contemporary stories, uh, historical, even romance, stories like that can also help with this sympathy. But because we're living in a fantastical world and our gospel is fantastical, fantastical stories glimpse that reality sometimes better, often better than more contemporary stories. We can see the world in more true ways through fantasy and imagination uh, than we can by trying to emphasize just realistic stories. You were mentioning Star Wars, which is a fantastic example of a good, overall good fantasy, um, Last Jedi notwithstanding, Jar Jar notwithstanding. Uh, Star Wars is a messy mix of what actor Mark Hamill called religion's greatest hits. You've got good religion in there, the gospel, good versus evil, repentance, forgiveness, redemption, all that good stuff. But then you've also got this neutral force, which anybody can get to, whether you're a good guy or a bad guy, or a neutral guy or whatever. Uh, and you can use the force like a natural law, but then also in row one, they say that the force has a will. Force is all at once abstract, natural law like gravity, but then it's also like a god. I don't know what that's about, but you can ask kids, hey, what about the force? What do you think? Is it possible for a force to have a will, to have a mind? All is as the force wills it, one character says, uh, right before he dies, the end of Rogue One, spoiler alert. Like, how can the force will anything? God has a will and a plan. The force does not. Any other questions? The Bible is so clear mm -hmm. that magic is so yes, yes. Uh, Deuteronomy 18 is my go-to text for that, uh, and I've been through that a few times to try to understand, okay, is there any difference between fictional magic, which does not exist, and the occult practices that do exist and that God forbids? What helped me, and it, your mileage may vary, and I got to get out of here, but what helped me is understanding the reason why God forbids those occult practices for the Old Testament saints as well as the New Testament. Uh, pharmakeia is the Greek word for that. Uh, sorcery is another word that appears in some translations. 
it's magic or occult practices motivated by idolatry, motivated by self-worship. If I'm doing some heathen practice to try to control my world for idolatrous ends rather than out of worship of Christ, then that's bad magic. That's occult. That's not what God has said to do. If it's a fictional uh, system that's going on, if it's something that does not exist in the real world, like Aslan using his power to pull his children through a magic picture frame into a ship, that I'm okay with. Because I understand, at least in Narnia, Aslan's in charge of that. This is his world, and they're all just living in it. Anybody else who's using magic is stealing from Aslan because he created that world. The neutral stories or the other stories, nothing's neutral. I slipped there. The other stories call for special discernment like Star Wars. Because in Star Wars, you get a little of both. The magic, the force, is like kind of like a natural law. So it's a made-up world with made-up natural law. But then it's also got a will, people say. Like, eh, that doesn't make sense to me. Uh, and then there's other special cases like Harry Potter, which I can't even get into. I would wait on the Harry Potter type stuff just because it can be confusing. And obviously, it's a stumbling block for many Christians. That's another great conversation to have. But I see I'm out of time. So I'm going to stop there. Thank you all very much. Well, that was a really fun talk from Stephen. Uh, just a recap. Is kind of three main points. Fantastical stories help train us to imagine God's truth. Fantastical stories help us love Jesus and his heroism. And fantasy helps train us for our world mission. What were your thoughts, uh, Naomi? Did he convince you that our kids need fantastical <laughs> stories? He convinced me, and I was glad to be convinced because they're going to consume them whether I think they need them or not. Very true. So, um, yes, yes, it was good. There were a few lines that Stephen said that I really liked. One was that stories can skip past our rational thought and go straight to the heart. I thought that was a really, I mean, true in my life, true in their lives. Um, I thought that was a very important point i like that he said too that fantastical stories with this with the hero the christ figure can help you appreciate jesus more this is very true um that made me think of that famous quote of the boy who wrote to c.s lewis who said um i love aslan more than jesus and lewis famously said no everything you love about aslan is jesus yeah yeah that i loved that for his third point, I really liked how he said, you know, if we read their stories, we have their playbook and we can see through their agenda. And you and I have talked so much with the kids about this, about the agenda that's just so driven in movies and books of like the kids are off having fun without the parents. The parents are clueless or the parents are idiots or they don't know. I mean, it starts with a little mermaid, right? Ariel knows better than King Triton. Yes, I totally watch that movie very differently now as a father. Yes. I'm like, hey, King Triton had a point. <laughs> he did. He did. And she didn't listen to him. You know, but it's like it starts there. And I even, you know, lately our seven-year-old has started to devour. And this is the first book series she started to devour is the Magic Treehouse series. But then I was reminded to remind her that Jack and Annie are going off and having all of these adventures on their own. They don't tell their mom where they're going. They don't share any information with their parents. And I had to have a conversation with them because my five-year-old is reading them a little bit too. He's not as into them as a seven-year-old. Um, I had to have a conversation with them about how this isn't right. If you're not allowed to go off and have adventures without mom and dad, mom and dad have adventures with you. 
and how much that's lacking. And that is one of the main agendas of the world. And we know that and we know their playbooks so we can help our kids see and discern and teach against that. And our older girls will even come and be like, oh, this story had so much bad messages of kids not listening to their parents or doing things without their parents' permission. And so um, I really do appreciate Stephen's point there. It's the kind of thing that's really made me appreciate Christian stories that have a positive view of the family. The family is not an obstacle to a good story. It's part of a good story. Um, it does seem like that is getting harder and harder to find. Uh, my main takeaways from Stephen's talk are that stories shape how we make sense of the world and ourselves and even our faith. And speaking of faith, you know, we live in such a secular materialist age and we're told so often that the supernatural is not real. Mm-hmm. But Interestingly, fantasy helps break the spell of secularism. And I, that, that was the big aha moment when I was listening to Stephen, that that is really its greatest purpose perhaps right now. And, you know, story, I like how Stephen said stories help us take our eyes off ourselves and see a much bigger world than we're often obsessed with. You know, th- this is the, the me, 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 me age of, of social media that people are so hyper-focused and hyper-individualized that Reading stories uh, really breaks that spell as well. And uh, I love how Stephen said we can often see the real world better through fantastical stories rather than through realistic stories. And uh, what a great point. And that is what makes me love this genre so much. Okay, I was exercising all of my self-control because I would rather have real world stories about the real world from the real world. But I was like, mm, okay. I don't know if I should debate him on this issue. Oh, I think it's fine. Yes. So I didn't say anything because I was like, I am on a fantastical truth podcast. And I feel like Stephen was a bit edgy with that. And I feel like you were a bit edgy with that. But I'm like, I don't think I should comment. Well, you know, it's the opening bar bargain for what we say about <laughs> fantasy and sci-fi. It, it doesn't mean you have to exclusively read fantasy and sci-fi. So. <laughs> That's fine. How about we go to the comm station and see what we have there? So Autumn left us a comment on our last episode, 110, could we enter a golden age of Christian-made fantastical fiction? Quote, when something goes mainstream, there is an element of it that is expected to appeal to everyone, or at least the widest audience possible. It can also get noticed and overtaken by people that act like something is only legitimate if it furthers their opinions. When all that stuff starts to happen, it becomes less about telling an awesome and unique story and more about taking certain things out to make it more, quote, palatable to whoever has influence over the franchise. In that sense, obscurity is freedom, end quote. Oh, I love this quote. This was such a great point from Autumn. You know, I grew up in Austin where everyone liked to talk about indie music and indie movies and indie this and that. And it's like whenever a band would start to get noticed and go mainstream, a lot of my friends would kind of like lament, oh, now everyone knows about this band or this movie or whatever. Now I can't like it anymore because it's just going to like become corrupted. And I always used to thought that was kind of silly. It's like, well, what do you, what does it matter if more people enjoy it? But Autumn is right that once uh, everyone tries to grab a hold of an artist, they really can sort of lose their way and try to please everyone. And and then you end up pleasing no one. And yeah, I, I think it's fine for us to like things that are a little bit weird. I mean, 
look, we are, first of all, we're strangers and aliens in this world already as Christians. So I think that our tastes and stories can certainly be strange and alien uh, to other people. I don't, I don't think we have to worry about that. Definitely. Well, Stephen will share more stories of his adventures when he returns to the studio. Meanwhile, you can see lorehaven.com slash reviews. There are two new reviews posted. First, we previewed Ashley Bustamante's fantasy Vivid arriving this month. And we also flash back to Frank E. Peretti's Prophet from back in 1992, which I have read and I am a big Peretti fan. Okay, there we go. Hey, we <laughs> met in the middle a little bit. <laughs> You know this about me, but the listeners don't know that that really, truly the first fantastical book that really sparked my imagination was This Present Darkness. I love that book. It's still This Present Darkness, Piercing the Darkness, two of my all-time favorite novels. Yes. And when I went to the Realm Makers Conference, I took Frank Freddy's books and I had him sign them to Naomi. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm the bigger Peretti fan. Love those books. And I did like Profit as well. But you can also subscribe to lorehaven.com to get updates about reviews and more. And we're also creating new resources for homeschool families and beyond. Well, this has been a lot of fun having uh, someone beautiful, uh, a little, <laughs> little bit prettier than Steven sitting across from me in the studio. So uh, thanks, honey, for joining us. It was really fun. You, you've got a great uh, podcasting radio voice. So thank you. Uh, you. You make it sound and look really easy. So thanks for joining me. And to you, our listener, if you uh, have some comments or questions for Naomi about maybe some nonfiction or or some fiction with a little tiny bit of fantasy, a little tiny bit of <laughs> supernatural or sci-fi, do you want to make a recommendation or just a comment to her? I'll, I'll make sure she gets to read that. So send us a note to podcast at lorehaven.com. Well, can I tell everyone my all-time, hands-down, most favorite book? Yes. The Hiding Place by Corey Tin Boom. Okay, there we go. So find a sci-fi version of The Hiding Place <laughs> and uh, send it our way. So podcast at lorehaven.com. Well, next on Fantastical Truth, on this quest to cultivate more fans of Christian-made fantastical stories, there's no rest on the road. Stephen gets two weekends before he heads back out to rejoin many of the same crew for another conference, the Florida Parent Educators Association in Orlando, Florida, or the FPEA conference. Watch our website for more details. Yet here we can say we're talking with new guests who will join Realmakers Bookstore at that event, including at least one famous vegetarian who is taking a liking to frozen salted squirrels. A little hint there. We hope to announce this soon. Meanwhile, even if you don't homeschool, and even if you're not a parent, you have God's gift of human imagination, and he commands us to use this gift for his glory. To do this, we need diligent teaching according to God's word. So let's love and learn this true story above all our stories as we seek and find his fantastical truth. <laughs>